Good morning, friends. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Today is Palm Sunday, but I'm not going to do a traditional Palm Sunday message. I'm assuming that all of you are headed off to your own churches where you're going to hear that. Uh, instead, I'm going to continue on kind of a little theme I've been doing the last couple of weeks, just words of encouragement in difficult times. My message today is titled, A Good Word for Bad Times. And it comes from a little red book of the Bible. Maybe more and more people are reading it today, but it's the book of Lamentations. And our text is from there, chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. Now, I have to tell you, this text is not an answer to the mysteries of life or about politics or everyday circumstances or even this current pandemic our world is facing. And it is also not a detailed statement about intricate theology. Rather, it's uh, a word about the Lord. It's a word that declares that he is our hope amidst hopelessness. Perhaps that's why the people were shouting Hosanna when Jesus came into Jerusalem. After all, he is our light when all around us is darkness. He's the way when we find no way. He's our reason for living when we would rather give up. In our little text, it contains four phrases, and each one raises and answers an important question. Here's question one. Why doesn't God destroy me? Now, this is not a theoretical question. We all walk closer to the edge than we think. There's a thin line between disaster and prosperity, joy and sorrow, laughter and tears, life and death. Let me let a car swerve in front of you, or let the bullet come three inches lower, or let a tiny switch malfunction and a whole plane crashes, or let the brakes give away, or, yeah, let a stray germ or virus enter our system. Who can understand the mysteries of the universe? Why are you alive today and someone else is dead? Why is it that we have been to, to, to too many funerals and yet no one has been to ours yet? Well, hear the answer of Jeremiah. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. So why doesn't God destroy us? Well, he could and he should. I mean, he could because he is God and he should because we are sinners. But why doesn't he? Because of the Lord's great love. The Hebrew for love is hesed, a pretty rich word with a lot of meaning. It has within it the idea of loyal love, of love that will not let go because it does not depend on emotion, but on an act of the will. God loves us because he promised to love us and nothing can cause him to break that promise. Which leads me to make the following point. As bad as things are today, if it weren't for God, things would be much worse. Now, that seems obvious, but we need to hear it again. If it weren't for God and for God's love, no matter how bad things are in your life or in this world right now, there would be much worse without him. And we tend to forget that. Many of us go through life with a sense of entitlement, like, I, yeah, I deserve this, I've earned this. And even when we pray, we think, I've been good, so God has to do this for me. Well, friends, how little we understand God's grace. Romans 5, verses 6 to 8, speak of Jesus dying for us while we were yet sinners. Our salvation hangs on that little word, yet. Not just that we were sinners once, but that in some profound way, even though we are saved, we are still sinners desperately in need of grace. Now, not long ago, I heard a news commentator say that all religions boil down to the golden rule. You know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That sounds pretty nice, but is it true? 
Well, friends, behind the golden rule stands a greater truth. We are to do unto others as God has done unto us. See, everything starts with God, not us. That's what grace really means. In many ways, grace is the hardest doctrine to believe. I mean, even in the church, we struggle to believe it. C.S. Lewis happened to pass by a group discussing which feature of Christianity most separated it from other religions. And without betting an eye, he just said, why, grace, of course. You know, he's right, of course. I know this much about salvation. It is either all of grace or not of grace at all, and nothing in between. Do you want mercy or justice? Well, if justice, you'll have it and be sorry. If mercy, you can have it. But just remember, you don't deserve it. Here's question number two. How do I know that God will keep on loving me? Well, the answer is again in Lamentations 3.22. For his compassions never fail. I think the best part of that phrase is the word compassions. And I hope you notice that that word is plural. Now, that's kind of unusual in English. When I, I wrote that word, actually, as I was typing out this message, the spell checker didn't like it, so I had to add it to the dictionary. God's compassion is plural. It comes in waves rolling down from heaven. James 4, 6 says he gives us more grace. And in John chapter 1, verse 16, it speaks of one blessing after another. As I said, many of us have a well-developed sense of entitlement. Along the way, we've lost the sense of gratitude for our blessings. And I think that's especially true regarding the simple blessings that we receive every day. I mean, the sun will rise tomorrow and you won't see it. A friend will say hello and it won't matter. Your children will giggle and you won't smile. Or the roses will bloom or the white snow will still cover the front yard. Your friend will offer to rub your back or the praise team will sing your favorite song. And because it's ordinary and You've seen it before or heard it before or done it before and because you're dreaming and worrying about the future, you're going to miss it altogether. How blessed we are and how easy it is to forget what God has done for us, even when forced to stay or keep our distance. But friends, you ought to be down on your knees every morning thanking God for all your blessings. God has been so good to you that you shouldn't complain again ever. If only we had eyes to see what God has done for us. His compassions, compassions never fail. Question number three, when will God give me what I need? Well, the answer in verse 23, they are new every morning. Now, here's a word of hope for fearful saints. God's mercies are brand new every day. I mean, do you remember the story of the manna in the wilderness? God sent it every day except on the Sabbath. He instructed the Jews to gather as much as they wanted because it would never run out. However, they weren't to store it up except on the day before the Sabbath so that they could rest on the Sabbath. And in order to drive home this point, God told them that if they stored it up, maggots would come and destroy the manna. They were to gather enough for each day, eat it that day, then gather more the next day. Uh, go back and read Exodus 16 to get the whole story. By this means, God taught his people to trust him day by day to meet their daily needs. Now consider what this means. We never have to live on yesterday's blessings. They are new every morning. God's blessings are never early, but they aren't late either. They are new every morning. Today's mercies are for today's burdens. Tomorrow's mercies will be for tomorrow's problems. 
somewhere I read uh, in a bio of Winston Churchill, uh, it was about his personal struggles during the hard period when he was prime minister of Great Britain. And hoping to make him feel better, his wife suggested that his trouble was really a blessing in disguise. Churchill said, if so, it is very well disguised. I mean, many of us probably feel the same way. We see the trouble, but where's the blessing? We wonder what's going to happen tomorrow. Will our health hold up or will we have a sudden stroke or will we be the next COVID-19 victim? Friends, let's learn the lesson of Lamentations 3.23. God's mercies come day by day. They come when we need them, not earlier, not later. God gives us what we need today. If we needed more, he would give us more. When we need something else, he'll give us that as well. Nothing we truly need will ever be withheld from us. Search your problems, and within them you'll discover the well-disguised mercies of God. Here's question number four. What is my hope for the future? Well, Lamentations 3.23 says, Great is your faithfulness. You know, that little verse is the text that led Thomas Obadiah Chisholm to write the poem that later became a famous hymn. He wrote, Great is our fickleness. We may grow weary, we may give up, we may fluctuate, we may vacillate, we may disappoint ourselves, and we fail a thousand times. Well, that little verse turned into this hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. (laughs) You know, God cannot disappoint us. Our God cannot fail us, not even once. See, God's faithfulness is so great that we may rest assured that when we come to the final bend in the road, He'll be there as we make our journey from earth to heaven. So let me review those four questions and see God's answers one more time. Why doesn't God destroy me? Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. How do I know God will keep on loving me? For his compassions never fail. When will God give me what I need? They are new every morning. What is my hope for the future? Great is your faithfulness. One last word from C.S. Lewis. He wrote, He who has God and many other things has no more than he who has God alone. See, most of us have many other things. We have money and security and friends and family. But do you also have God in your life? If you do, then the many other things don't matter one way or the other. If you have God and if you know Jesus, you have enough because our God is faithful. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion.